Well, it is um, good to be back. Uh, last week, Josh and I, whoa, there you go. Last week, Josh and I had the opportunity to, to be a part of a men's retreat for a church down in San Diego, and it was a blast. It was awesome, and it was, it was, just, it was just fun to be a part of a, um, another group of people seeing God's kingdom working in a, in a totally different area, and it didn't hurt that it was sunny and warm, too, so that was, that was nice. Um, Josh is actually gone again today, as you could tell, but he's, um, he's, he's leading worship for a church, Rock Harbor, here in the valley, and it's, what I love about this, I love about that, and I love about um, being in San Diego is that, is that God's kingdom is, is way larger than one extension of his church. His kingdom is, is, is going on everywhere, and, and we get to be a part of that in, in different places. And, and Rock Harbor was, was shorthanded. They needed someone to lead worship, and so um, Josh graciously accepted it because God has given us someone like Jordan who can also lead as well. So it's just, it's just cool to see that. Um, one thing that, that got me thinking about that before we jump into Matthew is, is there are these different extensions of his church going on around the valley. And, and I don't know if you know about this church and what's going on here. If you want to know more about what we believe, October 18th, this next Friday, is an intro class um, where we talk about everything here. But there are things, you, you may not know this, but these chairs you're sitting in here weren't there this morning. They had to be set up, okay? I just, I just want to make sure you know that. And, and if you have kids, you, you kind of throw them in a room and think like, okay, well, maybe they'll be taken care of. But, but Jess has done a really good job of, of trying to get these, these kids a, a foundation laid in faith. And so there's people that give their time to teach. And, and one of the things, that it's nice for Josh and I to maybe go and help out at other churches and, and do those things. But if, the, if this is your church, if this is your home, as, as, as a disciple of him, one of the things you can do is, is be a part of the family here. And so if you've been coming, you're like, man, this is my place. I really like it here. Now is a great time to say, you know what? I can help out with the kids. I can help out with setup and teardown. I can help out with ushering. I can help out. Um, in the cafe, those baked goods are so good, and people make those every single week for us. So we don't, we don't buy those. They actually make them, so they're fresh and yummy. And so I guess what I'm saying is it's, is it's nice, to, it's, it's nice to, to be able to see different people play a role. And even this morning, I asked two different people to, to, to jump into the classroom because Jess and Jake were both serving both services. And, and that's okay to do occasionally, but I, I really think, like, we have enough people here and enough of you that, like, if you just knew there was a need, you would say, I'm in. So um, if you can, if you're like, man, I've been dragging my feet, I would love for you to, to put on your communication card, talk to, to Jess about kids, or, or come bug me or Josh or email us or something about a way maybe you could, you could help out occasionally because we do, like I said, we set this up every single week. We tear it down, and there's a lot more than just chairs. I don't know if you know that too. Um, but but it, is, it, is, it is fun to see. God's kingdom happening and his work happening with a bunch of people together. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun to see people serving together and doing that. And so I invite you guys to be a part of that if this is home for you. And if you want to know about this, more about this, or be, make this home, October 18th, this Friday is an intro class. We still have a little bit of room. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll dive right in. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your work. God, thank you that you're not done with any of us. Um, God, thank you that each of us have a next step in our walk with you to being more like Jesus Christ. Guys, we spend some time in, in, a, in, a, in a section of Scripture that is just steeped with, with information and knowledge and wisdom and, and love and, and just honestly so much here, God. May you, may you just cut through um, our hearts with this word. May you take this word and implant it in a way that, that doesn't give glory to any man or any person but brings immense glory to you. God, may our lives be changed forever by your words. Every day we hear them. Every day we experience them, God. 
We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So yeah, so we were in a fun section. Someone said, wow, we're already in chapter 5 of Matthew. We're moving along. Well, then we came to what is called the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to slow way, way down. Actually, the Sermon on the Mount um, is just, it's the biggest sermon ever in, in history. It's the most quoted sermon in history, and it's, it's got a whole lot of information. And this is the, the first kind of teaching, the proclamation, the teaching that Jesus comes out. This is the first we kind of hear of it. And if you are here last week, Mike talked about how at the right time, in the right place, with the right people, Jesus showed up and did this stuff. Well, then he begins to teach, and that is the right time and the right place. And this, this Sermon on the Mount is, is, a, is, is a masterful revelation, revel, revelation from the great king offering blessing instead of cursing, which is interesting because if you think about everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we got Old Covenant, New Covenant, we see all the laws and everything that everyone couldn't, hold up to or couldn't fulfill to keep themselves in a right standing with God. And in the new covenant through Jesus Christ, we have a new way to it. And what I love is, is Jesus begins this teaching, and he doesn't begin with talking about, well, here's what you need to do, and here's where you're failing, and here's what needs to happen. He actually says, look, blessed. You want to be blessed? Here is how you will be blessed, which is so contrary to what most people at that time would have, most of the Jews would have felt about the laws, is that there wasn't blessing there. It was just failure. That they knew that, that maybe if they could do the right amount of things, they'd, they'd come to him and, and he'd, he'd be happy with them. But, but Jesus starts this famous sermon with, blessed. Blessed are you. Blessed. And it's an incredible thing. A little historical setting. Mike talked about it as well. Um, this picture is actually, that's the Sea of Galilee right there in Israel. Um, this picture is what they assume where that corn is, is most likely where this sermon happened. They're, they're not for sure, but it's somewhere within this two-mile span. If you're, like, where you're looking at, if you went that way, that's Capernaum. If you head that way, that was Cana, Cana over this way. If you head through there, the, the horns of Haddam, which would have been the, the path that he would have taken to Nazareth. So, so this is kind of where he is in some sermon on the mount. And people will speculate, maybe there was a longer version of this sermon, and this is just the cliff notes, and you see a little bit of Matthew and Luke both hit it, but they highlight different areas. Maybe this was... Um, done over the period of time. Either way, we know at some point he sat here or around here and taught. And these are the words we get. And this is, this is, this is what he does. And it's a very pragmatic section of Scripture. It'd be really easy for me to get up and say, do this, don't do this. Don't do this, do this. If you do this, you need to do this instead. And, and the problem with that is, that is that the principles of the Sermon on the Mount are more about the character of the person than, than what they do. See, Jesus is, is more, concerned about, he's mo- more concerned about who we are than what we do because our character, our character determines what we do. Our character determines what we do. See, Jesus teaches in this sermon that true spirituality is internal, not external. Although he's talking about a lot of external things, it's, it's an internal thing. It's, it's about, it's God's way, not man's. It's, it's a matter of the heart, not the body. It's a, it's, it's, it's a matter of worship, not a cause. See, the message overall is that the way of his kingdom is first, and above all, all else is internal. It's a, it's a matter of the soul. And so the sermon is, is essentially, one must not find comfort merely in right theology, contemporary philosophy, geographical separation, or political activism. Right theology is essential. Being contemporary in the right way is good. D- 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 um, holding back from worldliness, this is, those are all great things but those external things must flow from the internal life and attitudes if they're going to serve and please God. 
See, this is huge because at this time, the, the Jews, they knew the theology. The political leaders, they, or the, the religious leaders knew politics, and they understood, and they had some picture of what a king should look like. But the, the Sermon on the Mount, as the first teaching of our king in Jesus Christ, which Matthew's been doing over and over again, it doesn't make sense to the world. He doesn't talk about having everything. He talks about serving everything. He doesn't talk about your immense power. He talks about the meek. He doesn't talk about how, how you need to be right. He talks about how you're wrong and God is right. And so it's this, this backwards thing that doesn't make sense to the world and, and kind of baffles all of the context of who he's teaching at that time. And I think it's very applicable to us as well. See, the Sermon on the Mount shows the absolute necessity of new birth. See, apart from the Holy Spirit, you and I are incapable of even following one of these verses. We're going we're to mess up over and over again. Apart from him, we need new birth. It has to happen. The standards are way too high. In fact, it's, it's too demanding to do on our part. It's not just do good, it's be good. He doesn't just stop it. You need to do something right. It's like, you know, you need to be right is where this sermon goes. So it shows that we, we can't do it on our own. And it gives God's pattern for joy and true success. Now, this is key. It's, it reveals the standard, the objectives, and the motivations that with God's help will fulfill what God designed us to be. And so this is a, a huge section. fact is that we, we cannot behave like Christ until we become like Christ. We, we can't. We can't, we can't, those who do not love the king cannot live like the king. So the Sermon on the Mount is, is steeped with so much stuff. And we're going to spend a ton of time, and some of them are going to go really deep, and, and some of them are going to go a little, little less or, or bigger scale. But, but today, we're, we're going to take on the first beatitude. This is a section of the blessed, blessed or blessed, however you want to say it. Um, this, this, this promise, like I said, he starts this whole sermon with, here's how you find blessing. And, and again, and, and maybe this is, I'm sure this is relatable to your context today, but to them, to hear a king say, well, here's how you're going to be blessed must have been a, a, a breath of fresh air. Here's, here's, here's the promises that come from blessing. The, the Beatitudes is from a Latin word, which means joy or blessedness. It's key, again, because they didn't, they didn't know the laws. The, the laws at this point didn't really bring much joy. They brought a lot of work. But he says blessed. And it's not, it's not some happiness. I want to be really clear on this. We, we think that we want to be happy. And I hear this over and over again in people's lives. Like, I just wish I was more happy. It's, it's not happy. Happy is a cheap version of joy. Happy is contingent on circumstances. Joy and peace and blessedness is contingent on God. And God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. So this, this blessing, this, this promise of blessing is, is key. And if, if you are a follower of Jesus, which as he sat on this high spot in the, that beautiful area, and, and we know his disciples were there, but we also know that the crowds were there too. So there have been religious leaders, and like Mike said last week, people were coming from all over to hear this guy speak. And he's most likely speaking outside because, well, I'll show you a picture in the, in the coming weeks, but the synagogue in Capernaum, which is probably where most of the time you hear him talking about the synagogue, that's the very one. They have first century stones on it you could maybe fit 60, 70 people in it. So, so he would have to be outside to get the crowds, the masses, the numbers of people that were coming to listen. And he starts with this blessing. So he, it, it's funny because it says Jesus opens his mouth, which seems kind of, oh, well, obviously he opened his mouth. But that, that is a, a simple way of saying what he's about to say is incredibly important. It is, it is, it is substantial. It, is, um, it is also indicates an intimate, heartfelt, tes heartfelt testimony 
or sharing. It says that he sat down, and, and that in, in the rabbis, when they'd sit down, that meant we sit down because what we're about to say is less informal, very formal, very important. I'm going to sit down and teach to you. It wasn't he was lazy or tired. It was, I'm going to sit in a spot of, of authority, and I'm going I'm to speak to you. And so, he, so he, he opens his mouth, and he sits down, and then he goes into these beatitudes, and they're these blessings, and you've heard them over and over and over again, and people quote them, and we use them in our life. And what's interesting is I didn't pick this up until this week, this last week when I was studying this, but, but the first and the last one, the, the first one and the tenth one, are different than the rest of them. See, everything in all those say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who, who um, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall inherit the kingdom of, of God. And so it's this, this shall, these promises of shalls, meaning some point it's going to come. Meaning at some point when you're mourning, you will be comforted. But that's not a promise of today. But the first and the last, it says, it says that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this first beatitude, it's really interesting. The first one, blessed are those of the poor in spirit. Theirs, for theirs is is the kingdom of heaven. So it's a promise of today, not just some future. It's, it's a promise that you have today. So the first and the last end with that, and I thought that was really intriguing because, because, again, if you think about the context and the kingdom of heaven, they had a picture of what that would look like. And Jesus is telling them, look, look, the poor in spirit, today, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That means for you in this room, you're, you're in Christ, you're the poor in spirit. Today, today his kingdom. And it's not, not, not fully present, but we know that it is, it, is, it is partially here. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But he says poor in the spirit. And as I sat there and thought about it, like why is this the first beatitude? Why is this the first one? Why does he start with poor in spirit? And I think it's because humility is the foundation of all other graces. See, pride has no place in Christ's kingdom. And until a person surrenders his pride, he cannot truly understand, cannot truly enter into the kingdom. See, we can't be filled until we're empty. We can't be worth, made worthy until we realize that we are unworthy. So everything else that we come into, it, it, it comes to this humility, this poor in spirit. So I want to I define a couple of these words, and we're going to just spend a lot of time chewing on some scripture through this. But, but poor, there's, there's two Greek words for poor, and uh, this, is, this is key. Because a lot of people will take poor in spirit, meaning that this is a monetary thing. That, that those that are rich, if you have rich, if you have any riches, then you do not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's not, he's not talking about physical money. We do hear Jesus talk about that at other times. He says it is harder because of distractions maybe with what money brings. But, but he's not saying that you can't inherit the kingdom of God if you have money. In fact, there's two words for the poor. There's, there's, there's one version, and we see it in, in the, the story of the widow's might where she gives a, a couple, couple mites to, to, to offering, and Jesus uses the word poor there, and what he's using is barely making it. That poor is barely making it. That is a, that is a poor that you, you, can, you have, but you don't have much. And realistically, most of the people in and around Galilee would be poor. They'd be, fit, they'd be in that poor. But that's not the Greek word that Jesus uses here. The Greek word he uses here is actually a poor that translates as a beggar meaning you have nothing. You have nothing at all. And the picture is actually a beggar that is so in shame of their position that, that they have their hand out, but they, they cover their face because they don't even want to be seen because they're, they're disappointed and shameful of who they are. And that's the word he uses here. Blessed are those that are begging. They're 
begging in spirit. They're, 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 they're shameful of their position. They're shameful of their position. If you don't have a Bible, sorry, slip your hand up. We're only in the one verse. Um, the, the two verses here in, in the Sermon on the Mount, but ushers will bring one. It's, it's seeing the crowds, he went up. We talked about this. He went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And this is it. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3. Maybe one verse a week, so this will be really full for you guys. <laughs> See, so what does poor in the spirit mean? What, is it, what, is it, what does it mean? And, 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 and as I wrestle with this, I feel like there's, there's a couple things we need to attack first off. Because I think there's some beliefs that although they're true-ish in, in the Christian world, they're, they're probably derailing us from, from the truth. And that is that like, most of us think that God does want us to be happy. Most of us think, that we'll say things like, you know what, God, God I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and, and therefore like, I'm, a, I am, I'm a, a great design by God, and, and that's true. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. But we, we, we use it as this kind of this self-esteem. Like this, I, look, what, look who I am. Like God is, has made me into something. And we make it about what he's doing to us and what he's doing in us. And, and we forget that, that it's, it's him that's doing it. And so we take this position of, look at me. I'm so good at. Look at my gifts. I can play guitar. I can sing. I can teach. I, I serve. I, and we make it about what we do. And again, the, the Sermon on the Mount has little to do with what we do and everything to do with who we are. And the problem is a lot of us would think, well, if you have really low self-esteem, then you don't understand who God is in you. And, and I would say, yeah, that's probably true in some regards. But then if that's fully true, then the point is for us to have high self-esteem. And I just don't think that that's the picture, especially with what we look at here in poor in spirit. See, poor in spirit takes a disease that we hate. Namely, it's ha- helplessness. And instead of curing it, it makes it the doorway to heaven. See, and if we were honest, we hate feeling helpless. We hate, we hate that. We don't like it. We, we, we don't feel in control. And we, we feel like, well, well, I'm a grown person. I should be able to do X, Y, Z. I am, I am this person. I've established myself. I've finished my degree. I should X, Y, Z. I am capable. But, but what he says here is, is, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the beggars, the shameful beggars. They're blessed, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so he pushes at humbleness, humility. And the issue, we see it all over in Scripture. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Have you ever seen someone say, well, I'm so humble, look at me? Right? No one, no one really says that. So here's the issue. So how do you even become humble? It's a gift from God. It's him, it's him making us humble, and then we, get, we are commanded to be humble, but we do that with this spirit. And so this was this, this mess of, as I was trying to figure out, well, how do we define poor in spirit in a way that makes sense to you and I? And as I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, I felt like probably the best way is for us to look at some of the other people in the scripture and maybe what they thought of themselves in their response to who God was. And maybe after that, we'll, we'll dig through these, some of these scriptures. I'm going to rip through a whole lot of them. But maybe after that, we'll figure out our role, our part, and what that looks like. Because again, I, I, I don't think... It's some motivation to say, okay, well, we need to have higher self-esteem or higher self-worth, higher self-reliance, because all of that is the opposite of humility. But, but I, I think it, it's something different. In fact, Abraham, in dealing with the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, Behold, I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. That doesn't sound like he thinks 
super high of himself. Genesis 18, 27. When Jacob returned to the promised land after spending 20 years in exile, he wrestled with God in prayer and said, I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness which you have shown me. I'm not worthy of this. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two companies, Genesis 32.10. And when God came to Moses with a mission to lead his people out of Israel, he said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And then Moses gives us, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in past or present. I, I have, you, have, I, uh, you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And that's where we get that in Exodus 3.11 and 4.10. And the reason God got angry with Moses wasn't because of his humility. Well, it was because of his doubt to who God was. Look at God's response in, in Exodus 4.11. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with you, your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. See, I think that the biblical solution when a person is paralyzed by the sense of guilt or unworthiness or, 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 um, or uselessness is that the solution isn't self-esteem. God didn't say, oh, Moses, believe in yourself. And say, no, no, Moses, no, no, you know, stop putting yourself down. Come on, buddy. Stop looking at your own. He basically says, stop looking at your own unworthiness and uselessness and look at me. I made the mouth. I made you. I will be with you. He doesn't say, Moses, you're right. You know what? You just need to have a little bit more self-esteem, go to a couple self-help classes, and you'll get this figured out. He said, no, you're never going to be there, but if you take your eyes off of you and fix your eyes on me, I am with you. Now go into Egypt. I am with you. Look at me and live. See, the, the biblical answer to this lack of self-esteem or unworthiness is not high self-esteem. It's, it's sovereign grace. So the answer that God gives us is, is that he gives us grace. Isaiah 40, or, um, is sovereign grace. So you can test whether you agree with this by whether you, you can repeat the words of Isaiah 41, 13. He says, fear not, you worm, Jacob. Awesome. I hope I'm called a worm by a prophet. I will help you, says the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. In other words, God's way of freeing and mobilizing people who see themselves as worms is not to tell them, you'll be a beautiful butterfly someday. He says, no, you're a worm. He says, you're a worm, but hey, I'm your redeemer, and I will help you, and I am with you. He doesn't rename them into something better of themselves. He, he, he replaces them with Christ. David, uh, the sacrifices of God, he says this in, in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And so you think of this bad. Well, even when J David was taking up an offering, he prayed in, in 1 Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to, to offer willingly? Like who are we that we could even offer this willingly? For all things come from you and are your own have, and have we given you? So we've given back to you what you've already given to us. It's yours. So even David, when him and his people were worshiping, he recognized that his worship was useless in regards to what he did, and it was all about who God was. Instead, he was carried away by the impulses of sovereign grace. 
Job 42, 5, 6. Job's an easy one to get a bunch of examples out of. Um, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, listen, now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6, 5. So we learn from both Job and Isaiah that one source of poor in spirit is to see God in his power and holiness. All these men that we, we see the examples of what it means to live with faith and, and all these men and, and, and all these people that we see in the stories of the Bible and what is their, their presence is, I am dust and ashes. I'm a worm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. Go to the New Testament. John the Baptist says, I baptize with water. But among you, who's, among you stands one whom you do not know, even he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. Not even worthy to untie. I must decrease. He must increase. Jesus tells us that John the Baptist was no one among men was greater born than him. And here he's saying, I must decrease and he must increase. The tax collector, Jesus tells a, a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector who went up to the temple to pray. Concerning the tax collector, he says, but the tax collector, standing far off, he would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Luke 18, 13 through 14, which is just another way of saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. The, 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 when he's telling this story, the Pharisee was, was standing up and saying, look what I've done. Look who I am. And he says, no, no, the tax collector who recognized how much of a sinner he was is the one that sees the kingdom of heaven. The centurion, when Jesus was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. When Jesus heard this, he marveled at it. I don't know if you've ever stopped on that. Like, Jesus hears what a man says, and he marvels at what he said. And then he follows up with, I haven't seen anyone with such faith in all of Israel. Luke 7, 6 through 9. The Canaanite woman, when Jesus at first refused her request for help since she was not a Jew, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's relating herself to a dog and saying, even they get the scraps. God, be merciful. To which Jesus responded, oh, woman, great is your faith. So we learn from the centurion and the Canaanite woman that poor in spirit is right at the very heart of what true faith is. And when Peter sees Jesus do these miracles, Apostle Peter, he sees Jesus do his miracles. He falls at his knees and says, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Luke 8, 5, 8. These people over and over and over again experience Jesus or God, and they are wrecked. They are ruined. When we experience the holiness of God, we realize, man, just how gross we are. Apostle Paul has plenty of them, but he says a few of them, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, Romans 7, 18. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, 7, people are fighting about Apollos and Paul and who was greater, and he says, I planted Paulus a water, but, gave, but God gave the growth. So neither Apollos who plants nor me who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. 
First Timothy 1, 15, 16. I am the foremost of sinners, Paul again, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might display, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for an example of those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So the biblical answer to us being unworthy, having low self-esteem is God's grace. See, it's a, it's a, for us to be poor in spirit, it's a sense of powerlessness in ourselves, a sense of spiritual bankruptcy, a sense of, uh, and helplessness before God, a sense of moral uncleanliness before God, a sense of personal unworthiness before God. It's a sense that if there is to be any life or joy or usefulness in our life, anything at all, it will have to be all of God and all of his grace. See, poor in spirit, and the reason why I say sense is because here's the, here's the truth. Objectively, every single person in this world is poor in spirit. Every single one of us is a beggar when it comes to the spirit. We're, we're, we're left on our own. We're, we're done. We're ruined. The difference here is, he says, the difference here is, is those who acknowledge that. Those who recognize and acknowledge and submit themselves to that. And say, you know what, I am, I am a man of unclean lips, but God cleans. I am unworthy, but God makes me worthy. I am, I am, I am a worm, and God's okay with that. And he's going he's gonna to be with me anyways, and he's going to do that. He's going to grow me. See, and then here's the promise, and this is what I love about this promise, is, is he says that if you are poor in spirit, for those that acknowledge this, for those that, that surrender their life to this, if you are poor in spirit, then theirs is the kingdom of God. This elusive kingdom of God, I was going to try and define what the kingdom of God is, and, and all I can really say is we don't know a lot about it, um, but we hear a lot about it. This is what broke in when Jesus arrives on earth and culminates ultimately at his second coming. It's, it's this beginning of his, his work. The undoing of the curse happens and all things are made new and heaven meets earth just like Jesus prayed it would. And we are all in community in heaven or earth city of some form and everything's perfect. That's the end of his kingdom. But yet there's a present version of his kingdom. That we're stuck in the, in the reality of, of, of now but not really yet. This idea of, okay, we can, we can play a part in God's kingdom today, but his kingdom at its fullness will come at his second coming. But he tells us if we are poor in spirit, if we are a beggar, if we are, we are, we are present recognizing that there is nothing good in me, and God isn't about making a great name for Bren. He isn't about making me look better. He has really no concern about that. He's about making me look like Christ. He's about making me more like his son, Jesus. He's about bringing glory to himself. And what we see in all these giants of the faith and these people, they all messed up at times too, but every single one of them recognized that apart from God, we're done. Apart from God, we're a beggar, and we have no one to beg to except for him and him alone. See, and he tells us, if we are poor in spirit, if we recognize that, that, that humility, this 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 pride, this lack of pride, if we, if we posture ourselves in a spot by a gift of what he's given us, then, then theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then today you are a part of his kingdom of heaven. And I think it's just awesome that Jesus starts his message with this, because everything else falls in this. Everything else falls in this. If we're not a part of his kingdom of heaven, it makes really no sense to try and be comforted when we're mourning. 
we're not a part of his kingdom, then it really makes no sense to not be angry with our brother. Like really, all of the other things make no sense apart from his kingdom. He commands us to be humble, but he also gives us humility. So I guess my question for you guys is you hear over and over and over again all these people, and there's so many other examples. I didn't want to do more than that, but there's so many other examples of, of people that recognize their place before God, and it's written in on his word, and it's displayed for us. Are you a person that recognizes your poor, your depravity, your beggar stand before God? I mean, that when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to, to being right with him, you have nothing to bring to the table. You have nothing. Because if you empty yourself that way, you can be filled. You can be filled, and, and then he goes on to so many other promises that, that, that maybe don't happen today, but shall happen at some point, whether it's at the culmination of his kingdom or, or tomorrow. And some of you really do need to be comforted. And that could happen here or tomorrow or the next week. But, but it doesn't happen apart from his kingdom. And it doesn't happen apart from him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who feel keenly their inadequacies, their guilt, their failures, their helplessness, and their unworthiness, and their emptiness. Who don't try to hide these things under a cloak of self-sufficiency. But who are honest about them and grieved and driven to what? The grace of God. We're driven to the grace of God when we recognize all of that about ourselves. And he's invited us to play a part in his kingdom. It's us giving up our own kingdoms. When we give up our own kingdoms, the poor in spirit inherit God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is where true blessedness, true joy comes. It's where, it's where life comes. But I think you and I, we, we, we struggle with this. We really want to make it about us. We really want to make our life about us. We really want to feel better about ourselves. And it just, if you hear nothing else today, maybe you hear this, that the poor in spirit are very, very content about not making it about themselves. So when you're bothered by something, poor in spirit are, are led to grace. When you're, when you're frustrated with something, the poor in spirit are led to grace. When you start thinking highly of yourself, the poor in spirit gets knocked down and realizes that, man, I am nothing apart from him. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing some more. My hope is that truly you would feel the blessing of his kingdom today because of your posture in the poor in spirit. And there's, there's a, a million other things and, and how do we look at being poor in spirit and, and what does that truly look like? The really cool thing is that Jesus started here and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount kind of lays out what the poor in spirit actually looks like. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount kind of plays out like this is what it looks like. This is how you can do it. And he attacks every single one of us, whether we're, we're fighting for theology or we're fighting for contemporary life or we're fighting for worldliness, whatever we're fighting for, he attacks all that and just makes a level playing field and says, no, 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 no. It's not about your way or, or man's way. It's about my way and what I'm doing. And, and here's the thing. His kingdom is here today. It's not, it's not something that we hope will happen. He, it's here today. In fact, Jesus tells us to continue to pray for it, to be here as it is in heaven, which it will be. But today, we get to be poor in spirit. We get to serve a God 
not for our glory, but for his. We get to live a life of humility that he has given us. We get to live all that so that we can inherit the greatest thing ever. In fact, the kingdom of God is, is like a treasure in a field that when someone sees it, they sell everything they have. They sell out their life to buy that field just to be near it. It's not some small thing. It's not some short blessing. I hope that you recognize that that is the best blessing we could have is to inherit the kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for um, reminding me of my unworthiness, my brokenness, and my failures. Also reminding me that you don't leave me there, Father, that you, um, you have rescued, you, you reached into that depravity, <laughs> and you pulled me out. You pulled me out to be a part of a kingdom that is so much better than this world, a kingdom that's so much better than any king that's ever ruled, but a kingdom where we have a king that is our advocate, a king that is our Messiah, a king that is our, is our father, a king that is our friend, God. God, may we, we think less of ourselves. May each of us decrease so that you can increase. And God, I pray for everyone in this room, if they're wrestling with this idea, if they're, they're fighting with the idea of, wait, I have to, I have to make myself low or, or, or be a beggar or, or simple, God, may you just wreck them. May you remind them that it's at that spot you truly can fill. It's at that spot you truly can change a heart. It's at that spot you give the grace of, of, of the most amazing God, the grace that, that is lavished on us, that's sufficient for all means, the grace that came through Jesus on the cross. And so, Father, I pray that each of us would be poor, beggars, stooped down, even ashamed at times of our own state, but knowing that in you, in Christ, you still deem us righteous so that we can play a part of your kingdom here now today until you come back and make it all right. You bring this world back right side up. All sin is undone. All brokenness is undone, God. God, would you show each of us that as we strive to be poor in spirit by your strength, would you show us bits of your kingdom? Would you reveal your kingdom through seeing someone else's eyes opened to your word? Would you reveal your kingdom and seeing someone's needs met tangibly because of, of us laying down our, our own stuff? Would you see, would you show us a glimpse of your kingdom through the community of us dying to ourselves and truly loving and living for you? God, forgive us for thinking that we are rich in spirit. Forgive us for thinking that we, we made ourselves righteous somehow, that we, we, are, we are awesome, that we are not awesome. We are broken, messed up people, and it doesn't take long if we're honest with ourselves to realize that, but God, it's in that spot you're doing a unique work and your kingdom crashes into our hearts. So I pray for that, Lord. Pray that no one would be content with the king of this world no one would be content with, with pride. God, maybe you oppose us a little bit harder in our pride so that you can give grace to your humble. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.